welcome to the Ice Cream Sandwich Pod with me, Alex Gray. And me, Wayne Lee. <laughs> Your favorite disasters. <laughs> um, make sure to follow us on our new Instagram page, Ice Cream Sammy Pod. That Alex has so dutifully made for us. And this won't matter at all because... <laughs> By the time you guys receive this message, we will have already published at least 11 episodes by then. But you know what? You're welcome. This is as of uh, today, April 26, 2020. Our Instagram is live, and our first two podcast episodes will be released on uh, Friday, May 1st. Yay! <laughs> How does it feel, Alex? Wow, it feels... it's. Feels good. I'm so excited. Uh, you know what? I'll answer that on May first. <laughs> see how it feels because it doesn't feel like anything yet. But it'll start feeling once people start flooding our inbox with really negative messages. <laughs> Haters welcome here. <laughs> Trying to make our Twitter account also. <laughs> um, I don't have a Twitter, so no. <laughs> no twit. No twit. No tweeting. <laughs> You can't at us on Twitter. That's uh, where all the trolls are. Right? No Reddit. No Reddit either. <laughs> just or, on, just no, on OnlyFans and Snapchat and Keek. No TikTok. <laughs> what, what did you just say? Snapchat, Keek? OnlyFans, and Keek. What's that? Keek is like where all the thoughts go to like flourish. Is it an app? Farrah Abraham's on it. It sounds like a slur. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> we'll work on that. <laughs> Keek, this, this podcast episode is not sponsored by Keek <laughs> or OnlyFans <laughs> or Snapchat FYI. Yeah, they haven't paid us yet, but... No, but someday they will. Or someday Definitely. maybe you will. Who knows? <laughs> um... So, we are in week six of quarantine. Yep. Um, but we don't even have to talk about that. Nope. Because we are here for your sense of escapism from the awful, boring nature of your daily life. Yeah. Because... You can listen to us while you do other boring things, though. Yeah. Or if you want to get in a really bad mood, just turn on the news. Or, like... Go on YouTube or go on Facebook and like read someone's status about whatever is going on in their life. Or like go on TMZ or something or Cosmopolitan and just see what a disaster this world is in. But in the world of Ice Cream Sandwich Podcast with your favorites, Wayne and Alex, um, it's all just like peaches and butterflies here. Yeah. We're going to keep it happy. Yeah, definitely. Because we're the happiest people in the world. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> We're so happy. It's unreal. I hope you can hear our sunshine through your ears. I hope I hope our voices make dopamine for you. Oh my god. Anyways, <laughs> on the topic of happy stuff, I spoke to Alex, so this podcast the, the past few episodes we've kind of deviated from our improv sort of format because first of all because i've been in the house basically for six weeks 
there's not really much you can collect from life to make it to a store to tell you guys. So I'm just kind of like picking up whatever I get my hands on, okay guys? But first off, I just need to tell you that I'm really sorry about how scatterbrained I am because I was listening to the recording of last week's episode to, you know, go through revisions to tell our uh, sound editor guy, Connor, Alex's boyfriend, you know, where to like edit stuff out and stuff. And I've noticed so many times when I would, you know, verbalize a thought halfway and I just go right to another thought without completing that previous thought. <laughs> and I'm so sorry if you guys cannot handle that because I have to live with that daily. <laughs> Yeah. Also, I feel like just listening to your half, I could have deviated. <laughs> it wasn't even you. <laughs> so, um, so you could have rudely cut me off. I, I can, you know what? I'm not apologizing, though. <laughs> That's who we are. That's why we're funny, I think. We're beautiful, funny, and unapologetic about who, how perfect we are. But I just wanted to say, back on the ascendant sign, which dictates your appearance, we looked up a lot of different interpretations of Alex's Ascendant, her Capricorn, first house, and none of them were accurate. So, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with all y'all astrologers out there, but you guys gotta look at your Capricorn Ascendants and review them again because it did not fit my girl Alex. Yeah. And also, Molly. when, when are, don't call Molly out. I don't, I don't think she even posted anything about your sign. But, <laughs> but <laughs> also, all your astrology people, please like tell us if the planets and stars are so accurate, please tell us when this quarantine is going to end because there are arrangements and constellations and planets that have said, per your word, that they dictated that this whole quarantine isolation was going to happen. And I just want to know when is it going to end? Please tell us. Please tell us because it is in the planets and the stars. But People anyways, predicted this? Uh, yeah. What? Was it in like the Farmer's Almanac? It was predicted like two weeks into the quarantine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we knew like someone's going to eat a bat. It's going to cause this whole thing. <laughs> I was talking to Connor yesterday and I was say- <laughs> saying we should start doing a bit or he should while he's working and everyone that comes in with a mask just be like, hey, what? I keep seeing people with these masks. Like, why are you wearing that? <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. Yeah, I have to wear my mask the first time on Saturday. I was not about it. It was really cramping my style. They're so uncomfortable, yeah. you know? But, like, do you think there's someone out there that just, like, doesn't know what's happening? It They're probably, just like, it I probably, don't get it. It probably would have been me until one of my coworkers was like, hey, I think, like, the governor said that we have to wear masks we want to like go out anywhere <laughs> like into a store or something and I was like, huh. thank goodness that someone told me because otherwise like as someone who does not listen to the was it the cdc cbc chc what's that place the you, cdc the cbc D. cdc i don't know anything about what's going on and you know maybe there's bliss and ignorance yeah maybe but alas uh, I think there's like a lot of steps, you know, to like get this whole thing over with and for life to go back to running back to normal again. You know, back in Maryland, the governor, Larry Hogan, and uh, his wife, Yumi Hogan, they are uh, doing their best to acquire testing kits from Korea. Um, so who knows how that will work out for us. Yeah, that's that's good. It's right? a good sign. Right? 
Okay. Okay. We said we wouldn't talk about it, and here we are. Right. Sorry, guys. Um, Back on the happy stuff. So today's topic... a very special uh, podcast episode because Alex and I are going to talk about our creative victories and leaps and bounds um, in terms of our creative journeys. So wow. Alex does a lot of embroidery work and a lot of other like artsy stuff. And I do music on this side. Um, and, you know, I decided to do this because I released an EP last year on the 19th of April, 2019, called When Pigs Flying under my uh, songwriter name, Maylin Lay. And it's made a lot of progress. And I feel like both of us have made a lot of progress in our respective craft over the years. So let's just, like, get into it. Wow. Um, okay, who's gonna start? You will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay, my creative victories. Well, let's go further than that. Like, what got you into, like, embroidery? Like, give us, like, a whole spiel, because our podcasts are an hour long, and you could drive this as long as you want, because this is our podcast. (laughs) Hell yeah. Um, so, I... I think I started doing embroidery when I broke my ankle during roller derby. Wow. And I like couldn't really do that much stuff. And so I kind of started to stitch then. But at the same time, I think it was becoming like a pretty popular thing to do. So I think it was like in the air. Did you I don't like, think I'm that unique? <laughs> did you meet someone who was like doing embroidery stuff and then like they showed you some stuff about it no no wow i just it just fell into your hands i just decided to do it wow and i i had um i had learned how to do it because i went to montessori school and they teach you how to do embroidery so i think i kind of (laughs) like had like prior knowledge even though i didn't realize it of like how to sew and stuff yeah um so i started making some of my figure drawings into embroideries and oh wow it really fits in because i was an art major yeah and everybody got mad at me <laughs> because i would like to do figure drawings but i don't really like making backgrounds for things i kind of oh. just like having like the figure in the forefront and yeah. a lot of embroidery is like you could choose like a fabric or it could just be like your figure in the front and it's still acceptable did you at least draw the feet um feet because Um. because amateur (laughs) artists always crop out or just not draw the feet and everyone on OnlyFans knows the feet are the most important part of the figure (laughs) (laughs) I think I I think I do feet but they're my drawings are not like they're more like illustrations. Like, they're not super accurate. <laughs> Any of y'all are making art portfolios to apply to an art school like Rizzi, Micah, SCAD. Y'all better have some figure drawings with some fully formed feet in them because <laughs> that's the most important part of the drawing. Yeah, you can't look like a sock <laughs> or a glove. It's the most important and the most obnoxious. Well, and then you're like, wow, feet are actually so big. <laughs> <laughs> But also, like, you, like, did a whole, like, jump from, you know, painting, drawing, and all that sort of stuff to, like, 
sculpture, installation, ceramics. But like those are very fleeting like interests, you know, but you've kind of stuck with embroidery for a long time. Yeah, that's true. I think I, I don't know, like I never got super into any of those things, like the classical art making. Especially painting. Like I, you hated like painting I would, so much. Yeah, well, I would, I like to, I don't know. I, I would enjoy taking classes, but um, I don't know. I never, it was never something that I wanted to do on my own, yeah. any of those things. But now embroider, it's like, something that I'm naturally drawn to and like I like being able to like touch things and move it with my hands and I also like that it's not messy because I'm a very messy painter (laughs) and I was always the messiest in all of my classes but this is like okay (laughs) like you can't like get paint everywhere was there always like a five foot radius around you like a a six foot like what coronavirus space but said for you it's like a painting war zone (laughs) Yeah, I'm like two years out of school and like all my clothes are covered in in stuff. And it was like, it's not even because I don't, I'm not, I don't dislike mess, but I don't like cleaning up. (laughs) To be honest, like I was to say, the reason why during my senior thesis in art school that I switched from large scale oil painting, like oil paints are larger than me, to making small watercolors was because I hated cleaning up. And if you don't clean up your oil paints, like it, it cuts up and it like messes up your brushes and stuff, you know? It messes up everything, yeah. it messes up your clothes. And like clothes are expensive, oil paints are expensive, brushes are expensive. Like it was just a hot mess the whole time. Yeah. I, so, <laughs> and now ever since, like I could buy clothes, wear cute clothes, and not have to worry about it. <laughs> and if I like am working on some sort of art during the day, I could walk out to the local coffee shop, get a coffee, and still look cute, you know? And with my, my yeah. 50 squats a day that I'm doing, like, everyone around this block knows that I'm looking real cute. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Hi, I'm Wayne. I'm here. I went to BU. It's called Booty University. <laughs> oh, my God. I am here to have the biggest booty. <laughs> I'll fight you on that one. <laughs> To be honest, you'll probably win. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, like you've kind of like have done this whole like embroidery stuff for a while. And tell us about like the inspirations for your early work because I feel like viewing your embroidery stuff from an outsider's perspective because I don't know anything about embroidery. Um, like I feel like your stuff has developed really quickly, almost has different stages, you know. Yeah, um, I think that's true. At first, I was kind of like, I don't like watching tutorials. Sorry, this is going to sound annoying, but I like doing things that come easy to me. And like, that's like natural for all of us, you know? That was yeah. like one of the self help books that I read where it's like, you know, if something comes easy to you, it means that's like your calling, basically, you know? It's kind of like what you wow. said about you wanting to become an art teacher when you were like, you know, I think I'm going to become an art teacher because I'm good with kids. And I realized that not everyone's good with kids. And I was like, you think? Because like when you do have a gift <laughs> that comes easy to you, like for me, in my perspective, like it feels almost like it's not that impressive or you almost think that other people have that skill or have skills that are more impressive. But in the end of the day, like 
if something comes easy to you, you should capitalize on that, you know? Whether it's, like, growing plants, like, making really great dinners, like, you know, managing people's money, making embroideries, yeah. painting. Like, if it comes easy to you, like, go for it. That's, I like that concept. Unless if it's, like, murdering people, poisoning water supplies, you know, destroying wildlife. Maybe you should find something else that comes easy to you, you know? <laughs> Not all of us can be a president, you know? <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Now I'm going back to what you were saying about feet. Because <laughs> I was going to say you something. Can't stay away. No, okay. Here's my theory I think the new, like, feet is faces. Because a lot of, like, embroidery art and, like, drawings I see. Like, people do, like, a woman's body and then, like, no head. <laughs> it's very odd. That's, like, the kind of stuff you see when you go to, like, like, the, what's it, what's it called? Like, porn art? Like, erotica sub on Reddit? It's just, like, just that. Just very, like, poorly drawn, anatomically wrong, like, drawings <laughs> and editions of just female bodies <laughs> and i'm like does she yeah. have a face does she have legs does she have any dreams who is she oh my gosh now i'm realizing some of my work does not have faces <laughs> it's just like legs and arms <laughs> yeah she just started making borders because you were just horny in your bed while recovering <laughs> from your roller derby accident. oh my god <laughs> i think i <laughs> I think I could find hot things online faster than I could stitch them. <laughs> it takes so long. I guess that's another thing I like about it is like, it's like a lot of, it's very physical and yeah. like, it takes a long time to do, but you can, you know, it's very gratifying when you're finished I mean, also and you could, you could always in, go back and fix it. You always like could pop in like a movie and just work on it while watching something because it's fairly mindless, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And wait, you asked me something else. Yeah. About, oh, like, what I started... think I've evolved. Yeah. Cause you went evolved. from like, from my perspective, you went from like very like image linear based sort of stuff. Then you started incorporating um, like pattern fabric into it. And then you moved on to like, now you're moving into like adding physical objects onto it. So can you like talk about those three phases? Yeah. I think at first I was coming from more of like a, drawing perspective and like trying to translate my drawings onto fabric yeah and then after that i realized like you could do it on it doesn't have to be white fabric it could be any <laughs> any fabric yeah or like you could paint on fabric and make your own textile and that's very cool yeah and then i've always been like like my senior thesis was about like an installation with mirrors and then I had this idea to break up mirrors and like put it onto fabric also like that to makes have that me contrast. so anxious to hear about because I'm just imagining you with like 60 plates of mirrors and just taking a hammer and just smashing well here, with I no tried goggles to no gloves what and just picking up the shards of mirrors what are you talking about for your mirror installation. <laughs> no, I know. I definitely I definitely had no eye protection. Oh, my God. And I know that's so dumb. Oh, my God. But I, like, tried to smash it. I just had, like, a mirror, like, one of the ones from, like, Target that are just, like, those, like, crappy, like, length. Yeah. 
body length mirrors. I wonder if they're even actual mirrors because they're like wiggly. It took really bizarre. Yeah, I think it's like a weird like reflective something or other so i tried to like smash it with a hammer and take a video and it just did nothing (laughs) so i just i had to like i just stepped on it and like pulled up and it cracked it was like a very anticlimactic wow but my theory you know it's bad luck to smash mirrors so i was like i wonder if i caused the pandemic (laughs) seven years bad luck honestly you probably did because like I feel like it just started getting really bad around your birthday <laughs> across seas. Yeah. So sorry, everybody. Yeah. This is just going to last for another seven years for each mirror that Alex smashed in her <laughs> college years. <laughs> no, that was this year. This year? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. F us I- up, fam. Yeah. We're screwed. Sorry. <laughs> So yeah, now I am kind of more like like adding materials or like letting the fabric speak to me and just like embellishing fabric that I find because I really love to thrift shop. So yeah. it's kind of combining a lot of my interests in a way that is like more exciting and fun to me yeah. than other things. Well, I, li- I really liked when you started incorporating um, like fabrics, especially pattern fabrics into your embroideries. Um, because, you know, like I came from a very traditional painting background, you know, so everything was very purist in a way. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I can't imagine, you know, doing, you know, a classical figurative painting or a landscape painting on, on a piece of like green felt or something, you know. And even in art school, some people started dabbling in embroidery. But, you know, it always was within the same confines of, um, you know, the same like piece of canvas i think canvas fabric is what you guys use for it on like you know the wooden wooden circle and it was always some sort of like feminist message because you know because embroidery is connected to like you know womanhood and femininity like we have to like kind of own that and like make statements with that you know and i just thought like gee within like these you know four five six artists who decide to use you know these embroidery circles or embroidery hoops it was always kind of like it always it kind of looked really cohesive and just like the same between all of them you know mm-hmm. so it's just interesting to see you especially to hear your interest in thrift shopping and i guess we're reusing materials like it's just interesting to hear how you incorporate that interest into this piece of work too yeah i guess it go. i like i love clothes so i think that's also a thing is like just appreciating fabrics yeah. for what they are. And that denim jacket you did with embroidery, like, or patch, whatever, added to it, that was so cool. Thank you. I sold it on Etsy. You sold it? <gasps> what? Girl, give us your Etsy, girl, so they can all find your stuff and start buying stuff from you. It's capital A, capital G R A Y, capital G I R L, A Gray Girl. Thank That's you so me. much for spelling it out for our fans because, like us, they probably can't read or write. So I'll also include it in the description <laughs> of the podcast episode just in case you are someone who wields a graduate's degree or higher um, and can read. <laughs> so click on the link or copy and paste the link. That is Control-C, Control-P, Enter. 
Wow. We're so good. We're so helpful. Oh, my gosh. But here's what I'm bad at. I'm very bad at selling my work for as much time as it, for, like, what it's worth. Yeah. Because it takes so long. Yeah. And so I sold my vest, but I forgot that I had put free shipping of anything under... 40 or over $40. So I charged $40, which is like fine for was the shipping vest. like $40. <laughs> shipping was like $17 because of course somebody in Oregon bought it. Like literally across the country. I was I was so mad at myself cuz you know if it's a hoop it's like doesn't weigh that much. Yeah. So it's like free shipping is like fine. Yeah. Um, wow. people like to see that on Etsy, but yeah. then I, my profit was like $18. Then Etsy took some money. <laughs> <laughs> my profit was $18. And I was like, Oh my God, that was such a nice vest. But, but well, you I know, guess, you live and you learn. Yeah. The reason why I wanted to like bring this up because I feel like some of the people who read our podcast, some of you might be interested in having some sort of creative venture of your own. And, you know, Etsy has kind of opened the doors for a lot of small businesses and, um, smaller craftsmen to, you know, sell the wares that they make with their own hands, you know, which is like really beautiful things. They think stuff that's handmade is, you know, really kind of wonderful. Um, so it's really nice for you to like talk about one of the mistakes you made with, you know, selling an item successfully because, you know, when I was on Etsy for a little trying to sell paintings, you know, it was kind of like a little mark of victory to sell like my first item, you know? Yeah. But to hear that there's also like lessons to learn from it, it's kind of like, oh, like, there's always kind of like good, but also bad in the good. Yeah, it's definitely true. I know like for me, it feels like you kind of like Etsy is kind of like playing any other game where like you have this expectation, like not only do you sell it, but you have to have like really cute packaging. You have to put in like a free, like tiny, like postcard or print or note. Yeah to say thank you and it's like this whole thing when i it's hard to do that when i'm not charging enough so i feel like either i have to you know charge more so i can afford to do those nice little freebies but then i don't know if people will buy it yeah or just like be okay with like not marketing it to the full potential and just like being happy with what i sell because it's not really my main income stream yeah well at the same time you know like i think the reason why like etsy so much because when you receive something handmade you know it's made from a person and they put all their their love and skill into it and even something as small as like a handwritten note saying thanks that you know probably end up in the garbage anyways at some point that's a very nice touch as opposed to you know like getting something at a department store which is kind of a more impersonal experience Right, um, and I don't know it's one of those things because I am not like the expert in all this too in terms of selling stuff, um, but you know it's kind of the idea of selling what you're worth and making sure that the value put out and ask for is what you feel like you deserve because you know like if you ask for too much for a product that you made that you don't think is worth it, then you feel kind of scummy for scamming someone. But if you are underselling yourself, you feel scummy just in terms of your own self-respect for yourself. But there's also talk mm-hmm. in artist circles where, like, in the beginning, when you are first starting out, you basically, you know, keep your prices really low. <clears throat> like, not, like, super low, like, you know, three pennies low. 
But like low in order so it brings in people and brings in business as you start building up mm-hmm. a crowd and then once you start building up like a really uh, reliable, I guess like crowd, you can start raising your prices to get to what you're worth. So it all depends. Like some people calculate price based on you know their intuition. Some people calculate prices based on cost of materials slash labor hours. Um, so I'm not like you know the figurehead for all this, but you know it's kind of interesting to hear your perspective on it. Yeah, it's it's a tricky thing, and I feel like all like newer or younger artists have that issue. Yeah, of like confidence and you know selling their work yeah even if it's not like your main job or source of income it's still something you've put time and effort in and you know you deserve to kind of ask for proper retribution for that you know right yeah it's totally true and also like Um, for, for the whole thing of like cost i guess you know as someone who um you know makes about 24 grand a year as of right now, until we start getting those, um, what's it, sponsors and everything, you know, like, <laughs> I just want to get into the idea of, you know, buying less but high quality items. So, like, sure, I might dump, you know, $70 on one item as opposed to $7 on this cheaper item, or, but more of them, you know, it depends on, like, well, maybe that $70 item will be more high quality, maybe it will be more meaningful to me. So that's just a whole mindset I've been having as of lately. Mm. And this kind of spirals back into our whole Lululemon thing where I, I spent like 57, 58 something dollars on one t-shirt there. Like, I really like that t-shirt, you know? Like, it's really comfy. It fits my form really well. And also, there was a whole incident with Lululemon that happened, I think, earlier this week where um, they, they cut ties with an art director of theirs who posted um, racist art designs for <gasps> clothing. Um, yeah, so I'm not going to say the artist because I don't want to give them any exposure or anything. Um, but it was basically like, um, like you know how on takeout containers at Chinese restaurants, they would have like, you know, the red designs on like the white takeout container? Yeah. It was basically that design on a t-shirt and there were bats in the little box. And I forgot mm-hmm. what it said on top of it. Cause, but it was oh. just like basically like, no please or whatever. And I just thought, you know, good, jo- good on you, Lululemon, for like, you know, cutting this racist person out of your business because that's just not the right time for someone to post something like that. Or never is the right time for something like that. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I like that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like especially now, like, not being able to shop and, like, I've never really been a big online shopper, but I'm more aware of, like, really trying to not buy anything off Amazon, even though, like, that's one of the main ways people are consuming right now. Um, so I think that's, I don't know. It's a good idea to go on Etsy or go somewhere like that to just get something that you like rather than the cheapest thing. Yeah. And it's hard with clothes because, you know, I like going to clothing stores. That's why I like malls so much. Because I like going to some place and trying on a bunch of clothes just to see what flatters me because I'm kind of in that weird size bracket where, like, you know, my body is too small for even, like, small and medium in some places, like Macy's. Mm -hmm. 
But if I go to some other places, you know, I might be a good medium. In other places, I need to go to the teen section of shop, you know? And it's kind of like, it's kind of silly that way, you know? Like, I have bought clothes online that, you know, are just too big for me or too small for me. Right? And it's just like, wow, like, you know, the design's great and everything, but this is not what I want. And now I just have wasted $27 because I don't want to pay for the return shipping or bother with shipping and going to the really shady post office in a really sketchy part of town <laughs> where I might get run over by a truck or a car or get shot. Who knows? But, you know, it's kind of like it's a whole pain in the butt sometimes. And, you know, we, we work hard for our money. <laughs> it's not a good feeling to waste it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And like that, I don't know. It's like that. Ex- I like the experience of making it a day to do something. Yeah. Or, like, even just go to a craft fair and then you get to meet the artists yeah. and, like, all of that. Tell like us that's a- really gratifying. Tell us about your craft artists and, like, your your tabling experiences at, like, art fairs and stuff. Oh, I've only done one. Well, tell us I about was planning it. To, I was planning to do more this summer, but it looks like nothing's going to happen. Um, <laughs> so I've been, I did one event at, like, this punk show that Connor... My boyfriend slash tech <laughs> person is was in, and um, I was like trying. It was kind of my first go at it, so I was trying to make like a lot of different items. And um, what was most popular was a T-shirt I made with a thrifted skirt that was pretty had a lot of fabric to it. Mm-hmm. I made it had two pineapples on the boobs and. Those sold out. <laughs> and then I made some necklaces with so, uh, like little baby embroidery necklaces. And I sold one embroidery piece. And I made like 100 bucks, which is amazing. Whoa. What 100 bucks? Know. How many Subway sandwiches is that? A lot. We're not sponsored by Subway, but maybe at some point we'll be sponsored by Subway. <laughs> <laughs> Probably like... One of those gigantic ones you can get. <laughs> I don't know. I can't eat bread. Just one gigantic Subway sandwich. My my metric how will ma- be sa- Subway many, salads. How many gluten-free donuts can Alex get with $100? Oh, my God. Like six? Only like 20. <laughs> can she eat them all in one day? <laughs> 30 minutes later, oh she can. <laughs> Literally. Um... Yeah, so that was super gratifying, and I'm hoping one day to do more, Um, but until then, I'm stuck. But I've been very lucky because a lot of friends and family have been very supportive of me. Yeah. Wayne has bought a piece, and some other friends have either bought or commissioned pieces for uh, gifts or for their houses, so that's very, very nice. It gives me hope that... um, people are interested in what I'm doing yeah. and that I feel like when you're on I'm on Instagram a lot so I see a lot of people doing embroidery but then I realize that's only my world and not everybody around me sees that all the time so the things I make are pretty unique but like so. everyone has their own little world you know and I kind of like have the idea of what your own little world is is representative by what YouTube recommends you <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. I, on my recommendations, I have a lot of, like, music stuff and, like, spirituality stuff, you know? 
But, you know, I was talking to another person, and they have just, like, a lot of dance videos on their YouTube recommendations because they're really interested in dance, you know? And mm-hmm. so, like, everyone has different interests. And, like, when you make a product, you can't make a product that's for everyone, unless if it's toilet paper, you know? You kind of, like, narrow down <laughs> on a certain, I guess, niche or clientele. And, you know, with, like, all the billions of people out there, like, you're bound to hit at least a couple hundred people by doing what you're doing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So all you um, artists out there, uh, you can do it. And also, definitely. I was thinking, since like, you talked about this, I was thinking about, because, like, you know, I live in a studio apartment, and my place is pretty barren, you know? It's all, like, white on white on white. And, you know, it didn't really occur to me how much having artwork and crafts to decorate your home with really gives personality to your space. And, you know, I saw, I have a luxury of, you know, having some art training and confidence in my art in that I could take the artwork that I've made, frame them, and then, you know, put them on my walls. But, you know, if yeah. you're not particularly interested in making art or have the time for it, you know, like, I wouldn't be opposed to setting aside a budget of saving, like, 5 to $6 for every, like, two weeks or a month and just, like, maybe going out and buying something from, you know, a small artist or something and having that in my apartment, you know, because... It's like kind of beautiful to have someone's work of art that they, you know, made with their own hands and their own imagination in your own home. I think it just like it's good energy, good vibes all the way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, and also PSA, if you know someone who is an artist, don't be like, oh, can you just make this for me? Oh, my God. Because that is... (laughs) The worst. Or be like, or be like, this is kind of like really expensive. I would buy this if it was just like one hundred twenty dollars less, like free. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really expensive. It's like no, like that artist probably went through mm, at least a good year or two of training, and they have to pay for their materials, and they have to pay for their time. You know, time is a very valuable resource. <laughs> so I please know. be respectful of your artists that you choose to interact with. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah okay, re- let's get into me, you now. I just want to say it reminds me of back my middle school days when like people find out that I drew really well, really well, quote unquote, and they're like, Hey Wayne, can you like draw like porn for me? <laughs> what? <laughs> and I'll be that like, happened? Um no. <laughs> no way. Yeah, people ask you like to draw like their favorite like female characters and stuff, like naked. And I was like, Well, first of all, guys, like I'm gay. <laughs> Second of all, no. (laughs) And third of all, the whole time I've just been drawing Pokemon. Like, what makes you think I could go from drawing Pokemon to drawing, like, your waifu, anime waifu? That's crazy. (laughs) Guys, this was before, this was like flip phone era, so this is what happened. (laughs) Well, this is just the beginning of the iTouch era, you know? Everyone had, like, little iTouches and, like, iPhones with a silver screen backs or whatever, silver backing. Oh, yeah. At that time, they were, like, super tiny. Yeah. Now all those kids can get porn whenever they want. Oh, my God. They don't have to ask their local. People literally watch porn, like, on their smartphone at work. It's kind of, like, it's kind of a lot. (laughs) Not judging. I kind of am judging. (laughs) I'm really judging. What the fuck are you guys doing watching porn at work? What the fuck? And some just watch it for fun. Like, they don't, don't like, get off on it while they're just watching. They're just, like, watch it for fun. And I'm like, there's a lot of other things you could watch or listen to for fun, like this podcast. 
Yeah. And like videos of my feet. (laughs) Hello? Duh. Put a couple dollars aside to get videos of Wayne's feet. Oh my God. Duh. Make sure to subscribe. Okay, let's start, let's talk about your journey. Yay! So, um, yeah, you can start. Okay. Well, uh, I started getting into music because, um, you know, when I was in art school, we always had these uh, coffee houses where you know people would go, they do stand up, or they would do spoken word, or they would play music there. You know, and I remember I was always really interested in going to the coffee shops to like just go and see the performances. And, um, you know, I would just sit there and watch. And the whole time I was kind of like wishing the whole time that I would be up there performing, you know. Um, But I was just like, gee, I don't really know how to like play an instrument or anything, you know. And I wasn't going to do acapella or anything. And and I was really interested in music when I was younger, when I was maybe like in third grade, I picked up viola. When I saw my cousin, she was playing violin and thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. And... I remember I was like really into it. I would practice for hours. I remember kids would get mad at me because I'd be like, hey, like, you know, um, you said we would have rehearsal on this day. So like, is that going to happen? And, you know, the orchestra teacher would be like, oh, yeah, thanks for reminding me. And everyone would get really mad because, you know, I made everyone stay <laughs> after to rehearse together. But I always really liked it, you know. And um, it was in middle school when I got really into it. But um my orchestra teacher, who was kind of an asshole, you know, I was always on my case about stuff. Um, and so I kind of like associated uh, playing music with how much of an asshole my orchestra teacher was. So I just like quit it. And I was like, well, you know, I'm really good at drawing Pokemon. <laughs> so I'm going to make a career out of that. <laughs> so I decided to get really into like development art skills and get taking a lot of art classes and stuff. And I got fairly into, fairly decent at drawing and painting. Um, so I got, I made my portfolio, um, went to MICA, and did four years of just art classes. Oh, sorry, there's like a motor outside. Okay, it's over now. Um, I got really into doing like my art and everything, but the whole time I just felt like I wanted to do music more. But like I never really, I always saw music as this sort of like impenetrable fortress in a way. It was like I was kind of excluded from it because I didn't understand it really. Because if you see like a pianist or a guitarist or an income musician, whatever they're doing, it always seems very complicated, you know? Um, and now as a musician looking back, it's really not that complicated. But I remember when I was, um, when I was at RA one time in my junior year of college, um, one of my residents who lived down the hall from me went to go kind of like check out her dorm to make sure everything was okay for the uh, inspections. And we were kind of chatting with each other and I was asking her what she was working on. And, um, you know, she told me that she was working on a song and I was kind of intrigued, you know, and I was just like, oh, like, that's really interesting. You know, song writing has always seemed really difficult and almost impossible for me. How do you do it? And she told me that it's really easy. And she get, told me that she gets a lot of her inspiration so her songs and for her song lyrics just from the journal that she keeps around with her all the time. And I just thought, huh, well, I've kept a journal pretty much all my life, basically, since I was like six or seven. And, you know, when I was in art school, um, when I was working on a painting or something, it was always really difficult for me to get into the zone when I was working on a drawing or a painting. But when I was writing about how sad my love life was or something in my diary, I could write in that thing for like a good three hours, you know? And, you know, it's, it's kind of like my philosophy that whatever gets you into that zone, it's kind of like that thing that 
kind of like it's what you're meant to do in life you know that thing that comes really、mm. easy to you that's kind of like what you should be doing you know or what you should be doing to just to like spark some joy in your life or happiness in your life so I guess it wasn't until maybe like two years after after I graduated that I guess、um, her words really processed with me、um, because you know once I graduated from art school. There was no one really looking over my shoulder, being like, "You got to work on this painting and finish this drawing by this date, and do this, and you know, arrive to this critique." You know, it was and read this book on this artist. It was just like it was a free for all. And、um, I remember at the hotel that I was working at. This is very long winded. Sorry if you guys, with your short attention spans like mine, have just like disappeared. But、um, at the hotel I was working at when I first started working there,、um, some of the coworkers there took me on to an outing where we all went to dinner at this little place nearby. But when I was walking by,、um, I passed by this music store which sold like used instruments, and it kind of like almost spoke out to me. And I was like, "Gosh, I should go check out that place." And、um, ended up just like a couple of weeks later, after I saved up for a paycheck,、um, I went to go buy a guitar there, a used guitar. And then a couple weeks later, I bought a used ukulele and I started teaching myself, you know, the basic chords. And I found out、um, that songwriting is really easy, actually, because once you get all the basic chords down,、um, you can write any songs that you want. You know, I learned this when I was getting my hair cut one time, and I found out that the hairstylist was、um, also in a band. And I was talking to her about how she just started.、Um, Learning guitar and stuff, and she told me, you know, one of the best ways to learn how to play, learn how to play guitar is by learning how to play your favorite songs. So first, I learned how to play my favorite、mm-hmm. songs, and then I was like, hey, if I could make songs, I mean, play songs, I could make my own songs because this is really easy.、And、Can you next, tell us what the songs were?、Uh, so I played Leonard Cohen's Chelsea Hotel.、Uh, I played Lana Del Rey's Video Games. That was a big favorite, and I played Joni Mitchell's Carrie from her Blue album. And that was basically it, you know. And then like songs like the "Oh Say Can You See,"、um, stuff like that that you, know, you see in elementary sort of guitar books. But like、yeah. my patience ran kind of thin, and I was just like, okay, well, I'm getting really bored playing covers, you know. I'm not really getting much from playing covers, anyways, you know. Because like as coming from an art school background, like I always was kind of in agreement with the idea that I want to make stuff that's me. I want to make stuff that's original and like is the essence of who I am. So like really soon after that, I was just like you know I'm just gonna start writing my own songs. And now I think I wrote about seventeen, eighteen songs by now. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I remember being really surprised that you were like, "I'm not doing art that much. I'm just gonna play an <laughs> instrument." And I was like, "What?" Because <laughs> like it seemed like that was like such a big part of your identity. But to learn that like you're interested in something else is like super fascinating.、Yeah. And like I don't know, I'm really at like I admire that you like stuck to something and are doing something completely different. Yeah. I mean, like to be honest, I don't know if, how it seems from your perspective because I actually did have a little bit of a identity crisis during that time.、Um, oh, I also learned how to play "Mystery of Love" by Sufjan Stevens after I watched the "Call Me by、Ooh. Your Name" movie. That's a good song.、Um, that's why I picked the ukulele. But、um, yeah, I had a little bit of identity crisis, you know, where I was like, I'm just gonna spend like half of my time working on the comic book that I was working on when I that I started for my senior thesis. You know that a lot of people knew me for, and I'm gonna, you know, spend some time doing outdoor painting because I loved 
doing plein air painting. And then I just spent like the rest of my time learning how to play music. But I just got to the point where it's just like, I just want to focus on one thing. Because if you focus on one thing, I believe that your growth in it and your development just like is so much more exponential that way, you know? Yeah. And it also doesn't mean that you can't ever no. paint again. Like, no. and, I, and I still paint and draw, you know? Like for my first EP I released, I like made the artwork for the album and for like the songs too. Cause like they all kind of bounced off of each other. Like, the songs that I make, they would give me ideas to make paintings or drawings. Like when I was in art school, I always kind of felt like an outsider because everyone there had these really beautiful um, sketchbooks full of their ideas and sketches and drawings that they would fill so fast. And I just had like these sketchbooks that I couldn't really think of what to draw, you know, like, if I wanted to draw something, I had to, like, go look at it. And this isn't to bash, like, the figurative tradition because I really like figurative art. But I felt like I wasn't able to express what I really wanted to through, like, figurative art. And I also was not interested in abstract art at all. Yeah. So I was just like, gee, like, what other venue can I take? So that's why I started the comic book, you know? But then after that, I was just like, you know, F this, like... This is not what I'm looking for, and it's taking way too long. I don't have the patience for this. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Can you talk about, because I know that you've performed live a couple times and, like, how that felt. Yeah. So the first time uh, I performed was at this small little underground coffee shop, um, which is really funny because most of the people there were, like, fans of hip-hop and jazz and R&B. So that was what, like, the acts basically were and now just show up there with my ukulele <laughs> and just played like these really folky songs you know like i would play sufjan stevens songs and then i played um like joni mitchell's carrie because those are the only two songs that i knew how to play on the ukulele and and i'll just like sit down and that was it and it was really fun because the reason why i went to um have the stage name maylin lay was because um when i would sign up on the open mic sheets you know, I put down Wayne Lee, you know, spelled N-G-U-Y-E-N, and everyone always had such a hard time pronouncing it. And I was just like, you know, I got to make it easier for these people. <laughs> <laughs> but I also made the stage name because um, at the time I was a lot more self-conscious about my music because, you know, my music's very personal. Um, and it's all about me, basically, you know. And it was also about the identity crisis where everyone, I, th- you know, thought was a big deal that everyone thought that I was a painter. So it was basically like my like Batman, you know, it's like a singer by night sort of thing. Um, so I made this sort of like <laughs> stage name so no one that I knew could really track me basically until Alex found my Instagram. <laughs> and she was like, hey. <laughs> and I was like, you weren't supposed to find this, but okay. <laughs> but um, well, when you make it, it, it pops up. It's like recommended for you. It wasn't like a big secret. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I would play at these open mics and um, yeah, I would, I would go to more open mics as my songwriting developed. And I think like it was really nice in a way because before when I was writing songs, you know, I was writing these really kind of sad, dreary songs to myself. You're just trying to like make light of the situation I was in at the time. And I guess there are songs made for me just to sing to myself, like at night when I go home from work from the hotel, you know, because I was kind of frustrated with my life in a way because like I went to art school and I wanted to have this like creative career, but I was working at this like nine to five job as a salesperson in a hotel. 
you know, mm-hmm. making money that can barely pay, you know, rent on also student loans. And I was living with a roommate who wasn't very supportive of my music um, choices because I remember um, the roommate that I lived with, um, you know, he always had some sort of like issue with me and some sort of like weird superiority complex over me. Um, and he always kind of like rub it in my face about how like he had financial support from his parents and how I did it and how I had to like work multiple part-time jobs while I was in school just to pay off for school. He didn't have to and had more time to work on um, his artwork and like hanging out with friends and stuff. And uh, I remember one time, you know, he was working on, I guess, like a gallery application for a show. So I was in the kitchen, I was cooking some things and um, he was walking out and he passes by behind me and I go to him, I ask him, oh, oh where are you going? And he goes, Oh, I'm just going to um, the library to work on an application to um, to this gallery show in this gallery so-and-so in, I think, like, Pennsylvania or something. And I tell him, oh, that's really cool. Um, well, have fun with that. And he goes, thanks. And he kind of, like, takes a step and he turns back to me and he goes, you probably don't know the gallery because you're not an artist. And before I could respond oh. to him, he, like, slammed the door and walked away. You know, and he always had these sort of like passive aggressive comments. Like when I first got my guitar, he asked me to show him and he called it cheap looking, you know? And I said, like, I don't know what's with this guy's problem, but you know, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do and not care. So that's why, you know, at the end of our lease, I decided to leave before telling him because, like, you don't do me dirty without getting some karma back for you. He had to pay a whole month between the two of us to rent by himself. But, <laughs> but yeah, so I'll play these open mics, and I guess, like, as I started playing at open mics, it kind of shifted my songwriting, because first of all, the people who I would play with, or, like, you know, on the roster, like, they were really talented artists who had years of skill under their belt already, you know, so that kind of, like, upped my game. But also, it started making me write songs that are geared towards not just singing to myself, but also singing towards an audience, so I mm-hmm. think that started just like changing my songwriting um, in a way too. Wow. Yeah. And didn't you do something where you got like you applied for something, or you got some sort of like recognition? Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, at this open mic at this um, little bar called the Depot, um, I actually uh, went there. It was I went there maybe. It was maybe the second time or the third time. I went there and we would play, and I would play two. I would play. Was I think it was just two songs. It was two songs. It was Leonard Cohen's Chelsea Hotel, and uh, and the second one was an original song that I wrote myself. My first song that I wrote on the guitar called Yesterday's Trip, which is about a trip. Um, I went to DC with a friend of mine who left to go to Germany before, and um, I played those two songs on the guitar, and I guess people liked it enough. Where that there was apparently some sort of contest where um, at the end of every night, people would get a sip of paper and write their favorite performance um, of the whole night and put it into a little like voter ballot jar or whatever. And that jar was um, to collect, I guess, contestants for some sort of contest that they hold there, where the winner of every night um, comes together every quarter of the year basically compete against each other for free studio time at a local Baltimore studio. Um, Yeah, it was kind of like an honor in a way because, you know, I just started writing songs, 
I guess by that time it was maybe like five, six months in to writing songs. And I was like, huh. Loop is in order. Let's give us a second. It's over. And I just figured, you know, like, if people are liking my song, and it's the first song I wrote, and I'm not, and I just started writing music and play music, like, hmm, maybe it's a little bit of a little reassurance and nudge for me to keep going with this, you know? I didn't win the competition, but, you know, it was still nice in a way to have that recognition from people. And, you know, after I um, published my EP that I uh, produced myself, you know, I got this, like, sudden uh, flood of attention from a couple of music bloggers um, asking to, like, review my blog, like, Divide and Conquer, the music blog. They reviewed um, my stuff. Um, there's another blog called, I believe, Sound Poster um, that asked me to guest post on their blog. Um, so that oh was gosh. interesting. And, um, you know, I posted my songs on theme, sorry, Thematic, um, which I spoke about a couple episodes before. And um, one of my songs was featured on two video vloggers on YouTube's videos. Um, so that kind of like brought a spike in my attention. I actually... Um, it brought enough that I have my stats. Let me pull up my stats actually on my um, song distribution site. You're gonna flex on us? Yeah, now? I'm gonna flex on us because it's a victory. Like you getting more than $100 for your sales, I'm gonna flex on you guys. <laughs> so for this year, one year, I made a net income from my streams of $1. <laughs> That's pretty impressive though because each play stream is like one cent. Yeah, so. yeah. So I'm like kind of excited about that, you know? I made $1 in streams. It made an evolution of 362%. I don't know what that means. But my favorite is seeing um, 2,703.8% growth in my streamings. Um, oh my god. Just within like the past month or so. Um, and that's kind of like exciting just to hear because sure, it took about a year to wait for much growth to show up, but you know, it's kind of exciting to see that, you know, because I don't think that first EP was my best work and I'm kind of excited to record and release a new full realized album with work that I'm actually very proud of. Um, and just to see where that goes because like, I don't know, like, again, you shouldn't be looking for outside validation for seeing the worth of your work. But I think, like, outside validation is also, like, really important as an artist in a way because it helps you find your crowd, you know? And it's kind of surreal to think that people from not just the United States, but in Canada, in France, in Australia, in India, in, like, Asia, like, everywhere, have, like, heard at least one of my songs. And some people actually just add it to their playlists now. So, you know, whereas before when I would have my songs out, I would go like months without any streams and now because people have added a song to their playlist some people might have you know looked through more of my music you know there's only six songs now but maybe they would have liked another song and added another one and now I get at least like four or five streams a day it's like it's in the single digits but it's very encouraging that's amazing yeah especially like strangers yeah that's really cool really exciting yeah and it's funny because like that album it was it could have been done a lot better. <laughs> it was, for all you uh, bedroom musicians out there, please don't record in your bedroom. Like, I, re- I recorded this whole EP. It's called When Pigs Fly. You can find it on Spotify and iTunes and other major music distributors. I recorded it in my walk-in closet. <laughs> you could probably hear, like, the fire alarm chirp from, like, my neighbor next door. 
You also probably hear the hissing of my laptop. <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah, it's very amateur, and I didn't have any engineering like skills, but like I did the best I could. So my tip to all you people, if you're gonna release an album or an EP that's like your first work, have have it recorded in like a studio or like have someone with music knowledge to record it for you. And if you do have knowledge with um, music production programs, um, I use Logic Pro. Like go ahead and use your knowledge to like, you know, master and mix your tracks. I didn't though, so it was a hot mess. And it caused a lot of frustration. And I should have just went the route towards having someone else with more knowledge do it instead and save me a lot of um, emotional upheaval. Because um, I also, I, um, I got sucked into um, this, I guess, like online mastering site called eMastered, where you just upload um, your recordings and they apparently like master it for you. And just so you guys know, PSA, eMastered is a scam. <laughs> Oh no. It's a big fat scam where, you know, I signed up for their monthly plan, you know, where they would charge you, what, $30 per month. And I thought, well, I'm just going to, you know, master this one album. So I'll just have it for this one month. And apparently, you know, maybe I just didn't read close enough, but they ended up forced me to pay for the whole year. <gasps> and when I asked to cancel oh, back in November, back in November, I, I requested to cancel. There is a bug on the website, which they probably did this intentionally, where when you click cancel, it doesn't change your subscription plan. It keeps it as is. And I thought, oh, it didn't change because um, I had to pay for the whole year, and once the year's over, it will be canceled. No, those suckers renewed my subscription plan behind my back, like, this past <gasps> week. And I was like, F you all, I closed off my PayPal account, so they can't bill me anymore, hopefully. And yeah, so all you guys know, I really should have just listened because apparently there's been a lot of people who posted about this sort of experience with eMastered. So for all you people who are thinking about using a service like eMastered or Land or whatever, don't do it. Get someone else to do it for you or do it yourself if you have the skills. And if anyone you know is recommending it, I would look at them with a lot of scrutiny. Wow. Yeah. If you look on it, there are a lot of customers who, like, have been scanned from it, and it's notorious for just having one stars, and it's, like, really bad. So I just have to get it out for all my, you know, aspiring musicians out there, because it's a rough world out there, and there are some sharks ready to eat us. Jeez. Right? Well, I don't know. When you're saying, like talking about how hard it is for you to listen to your first album and everything I feel like I feel that with a lot of my work where I'm just like hyper critical yeah but like we're we're our own worst critics and also like it's okay to have something be like unrefined or be learning and like even though it's like really hard like I have the same issue I've learned a lot from Connor that it's sometimes like it's okay just to go with it or just to like lean into it and see that as your starting point. Yeah. I think that goes for like a lot of artists, you know, or creative folk where you spend so much time with it and you always have this idealized vision of what you're going to produce in the end. But what you end up bringing out to the world isn't what you fully envisioned. Maybe it's like, you know, you did your best and is that the whole idea of having to invest 10,000 hours into something before it gets to that point where you're actually very satisfied with it? 
but maybe there's something really kind of wonderful about not ever being satisfied as long as it doesn't ruin your sense of self-worth because <laughs> you still need self-confidence to make good creative work yeah yeah and also like i wasn't used to hearing recordings of my own voice too so it kind of threw me for a mm. very big loop to hear how unsexy my voice was <laughs> um but you know it's wonders what a little bit of eqing can do sometimes and also you know proper breath control and stuff can do and whatnot but you know like i'm starting to like my own singing voice more i'm starting to like my own compositions more and just like just kind of growing and embracing who i am as a person because you know it's again looking to outside validation like if other people are really like what i'm doing maybe what i'm doing isn't so bad after all you know like i remember when i first went to the open mic at the depot i was kind of surreal because i would play the first song i ever wrote um yeah i think it was a setup of what was the first song i played before it i think it was probably mystery of love by Sufjan stevens and then um, the second song was um, my first ever song that I wrote was between two artists that was on the When Pigs Fly EP I played that song and when I was playing that song like everyone that in the bar you know in the bar the performers there were all these like rock heavy metal sort of people and there were these big like three four piece bands too but when I was up there with my little ukulele not plugged in <laughs> No. So there's not much sound coming from this tiny little ukulele also. But I was just up there and like everyone at the bar just kinda like circled around me, you know? Like it's all like half circle and like even the bartender there was just kinda like intrigued, you know? And at the end, like, you know, the person who was hosting the open mic was like, Wow, that was like very intimate, you know? And I was like, huh, thanks. <laughs> I didn't expect that, but thanks, you know? Oh, that sounds really sweet. Yeah, it was a good time. That's amazing. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about your your art, your music? Yeah. So um, I'm going to make it short because we're running over the hour long line and you guys probably have like kids to pick up and stuff and like toilet paper to buy. Um, but, you know, I'm, I think I finished a new body of work um, for a new album. I think it's about eight songs. Um, so that's exciting. Um, I ordered a Mountain Dulcimer off of Etsy, funny enough. It cost me a whole paycheck, but when it arrives this week, it'll be so worth it. And I'm thinking about trying to get like a live gig at some point, and we'll see how it works out. That would be amazing. Are you allowed to divulge what the album's name is or not yet? Yeah, so my um, the album, my first studio album um, that I'll be releasing will be called Letters to Home. And it's a collection of songs based on um, just like looking back on my time in Connecticut. So there are songs that reflect on stuff like my friendship with Alex. Um, Holla. Refl- <laughs> um, there's another song about, you know, a friend who, another friend from Connecticut who wasn't that great that I had to drop at some point because, you know, it was just a negative influence on my life. And you now there's other like small, silly songs, you know. Um, so it's almost like I'm trying to write these letters to home as if home was a person, you know, and that's all encapsulated in these songs. So, um, I'm kind of excited for when it'll release. I don't know when, but I'm excited for when it will. And I will let you guys know. Um, but for now you could find my 
six songs uh, from the EP When Pigs Fly on streaming services like Spotify or Apple Music or YouTube or whatever under the name Maylin, M-A-Y-L-I-N, Lay, L-E-I. Amazing. I'm right. excited to hear it. I'm excited too. It's like one of those things, you know, when like, you probably get this feeling, you know, but when you like make something, you're so excited to share it, you know? It's almost like making a gift for someone, but it's a gift for everyone. You're just really excited to share it with the world, you know? I know. And they're like, why don't I have a hundred likes? I don't understand. <laughs> Speaking of likes, what is our Instagram account so people can follow us again, Alex? Ice Cream Sammy Pod. Ice Cream Sammy Pod. Ice your Cream face, Sammy Pod. Wayne and Alex. Set up by Alex for the people of the world. For our, zaddy, see, for our zaddies out there. <laughs> you can see what we look like. You can see our cover art on there. <laughs> well, right now it's just Alex's selfie because I don't take selfies. So it's going to take me a little while to get a picture of myself up there. But I promise my hair is fully washed and dried now. So maybe as the sun is still up on this overcast day, I'll be able to take a photo for your viewing pleasure. I might even stick a photo of my feet in there. Who knows? Ooh, baby. Ew. I've sort of, like, accidentally set up, like, a dating profile, but I feel like people need to get to know us, so. Oh, my God. That'd be a great way to promote our podcast, like, through OkCupid or Grindr. <laughs> when, so, when someone messages you or DMs you, it's like, hey, I like you, too, but first, you know, you should know what my voice sounds like. Here's an episode of my podcast that I'm working on. <laughs> My gosh. People <laughs> did that to me on online dating a lot. They'd be like, here's really? my music. Really? And then I'd be like, oh, cool. And then they'd be like, what's your favorite song? And you're like, I don't know. I didn't actually listen. Like, why Why are you going to grill me on it? Like, I'm not dating. If I wanted to listen to music, I would go on Spotify. That reminds me <laughs> of when um, I was kind of seeing this one guy. He, he was like, let me stay at his place for a little while. And he told me how he was working on a play. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I have like this, this screenplay for it right here. And I was like, cool. What's it about? And he told me how it was about like online dating. And I was just like, what? <laughs> and he made me like speak out, like play the role with him while we waited for the lasagna to cook. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so bad. <laughs> Oh no! And I was like, "Can this lasagna cook faster?" Also, I can't even eat lasagna. He was like, "Oh, what do you want to eat?" And I was like, "Oh, I'll eat anything. Just don't have something with cheat with like dairy in it because I can't eat dairy." And he was like, "Okay, lasagna. You'll love lasagna." And <laughs> and, um, oh. <laughs> and that was the first red flag. The second red flag was um, him and me going to have like a little dinner date and him eating very loudly. And the third red flag was when we sat down. He asked to me what we wanted to watch, what I wanted to watch. And I was like, let's watch Finding Dory. And he was like, no, Finding Dory is stupid. And I was like, you know, I have no love for you anymore. <laughs> wow. So for all you people out there, if, you're, if your partner does not like Finding Nemo or Finding Dory, drop him. <laughs> and if you don't like Finding Nemo or Finding Dory, you got some soul searching to do. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and also, if you need validation for your arts 
get an Instagram and don't try and date someone who <laughs> you expect to be automatically obsessed with whatever you're doing. Or like if you do art, maybe apply for like a gallery show, post it on Pinterest, Redbubble. You can make great designs on Redbubble. Or if you're a musician, post it on Spotify. Um, you know, if you're a stand-up comedian, I don't know. You're out of luck. Instagram Live. YouTube, TikTok. <laughs> TikTok. Like, the world is so big for there. And, you know, with TikTok being a Chinese surveillance program, like, you may even get some Chinese fans. And that'd be great. Or is that a rumor? Mm -hmm. This is probably for next week's episode because we are over our time mark. What is the question for our viewers today, Alex? Um... What's something you like to make? And, or if you don't have something, what would you like to try? Ooh, ooh. Is that really true to try stuff, guys? I was a late bloomer with music. You know, Grandma Moses. Was that her name with the, who painted the oh my God. paintings? Grandma yes, Moses started at like love, 70. Love that bitch. You know? <laughs> I have like another friend who's just started getting into dance despite, you know, all these years of kind of downplaying dance. But people get into weird stuff at, like, weird times. And, like, you never really know sometimes until you go for it. If something speaks to you, go for it, guys. But on that note, um, we're going to fucking leave because I'm hungry. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>